You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Dad's got a special role, and all of you know it. Whether you're a kid or a mom, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, we all have to acknowledge, even just in our American culture, dads have not just a biblical responsibility that the Bible tells us about, but a unique categories in life. We are so awesome, dads. Then in the fitness realm, we've got our own body shape. It's called the dad bod. I was corrected in the first service by a physical therapist who told me that he one time had a client tell him it's not a dad bod, it's a fatherly figure. I don't know what the difference is. Like my kids, like sometimes I say stuff and they just go, he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know. Hey, honey, Netflix and chill to my wife. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He thinks he means eat chips and watch too many shows. So... And if that's what you think it is, don't Google it right now. You'll get distracted. We got dad bods. We got dad jokes, right? I could do that the whole time. Dad jokes. Now go to your kids today. If they're not with you at church or they're not watching with you online, uh, say, "Why why don't skeletons fight? Because they don't have the guts. Like that's dad joke, right? And no one acknowledges how funny you actually are. Like you make some of this stuff up on, there's not like, I don't know, maybe there is a, there probably is a website, dadjokes.com or something, but you just, you're like reading a book, it's about, you know, comic book, who knows what, and your kid walks in and says, what are you reading, dad? And you go, it's a book about anti-gravity, it's impossible to put it down. And you wonder, does anyone else get my, it's so, such a high level, do they even get it? And then they tell you, just don't talk in front of my friends, don't produce sound, okay? That's what I get told, anyway. So we've got dad bods, dad jokes, we've got dad jobs, if you think about it. We don't want to talk about this now, it's probably culturally incorrect, send your emails to I don't care at sfchurch.com, and um, somebody will not reply to you. And so, there's stuff that dad's expected to do. It's usually the dangerous stuff, it's usually the scary stuff. When they're little, I think there's a monster under my bed. So they ask, dad, Why? And why do you check? I have one dad who said, I'd never check. I didn't want to validate the myth that they had. And then most dads are like, I'm going to go look and show them. There's no, you check because you know there's no monster. What if there was? (laughs) What are you going to do? Like, I know y'all. That's not going to work. And your kid's probably thinking, you're just the biggest one in the family. It's going to take longer to eat you. Gives the rest of us more time to get away. (laughs) But it's your job because it's dangerous. Some of you can't cook at all. Some of you can't even find anything in the pantry, right? Wives all saying, amen. Like the cereal's right here. And you're going, honey, where's the cereal? Uh, Look right there, where you put it every day. The dad walks away mumbling, somebody moved it. You're like, no, they didn't. No one, it's a whole book, right? Somebody moved my Cheerios. Like, it could be a book. But we're having guests over, and we're going to grill. There's an open flame involved. So why don't you cook, dad? Can't even find Cheerios. Whatever. We do it. And so it's dangerous. And because of the dangerous jobs we do, we get special spaces, we get to buy tools. Sometimes it's the garage, it's never like the prime real estate in the house, right? It's like the garage, the basement, the attic, places no one else wants to go. (laughs) But it's okay, little dad's secret, Uh, men will be mad at me for outing them on this. Uh, They always think you're working on projects, sometimes you're just going there going, I need some me time, these people are crazy, I get it. But they're your people, and you love them. So thanks, dads. 
The other day at my house, I was in one of my dad's spaces. It's under our deck in our backyard. Our deck is enclosed. It's got lattice all around it except for one spot where you can walk in and out. Almost no one in our family ever goes in there except for me. It's kind of the junk drawer of our backyard. You know what the junk drawer is like? Like, hey, we're having guests over. Put it in the junk drawer and just kind of get the counter off, cleaned off, and then you forget what's in there. The other day I found a digital camera in our junk drawer. I'm like, what does this have, like, files of astronaut landing? I don't know what's out. It's black and white pictures. I'm looking at it and I'm holding my phone going, when did we need this? There's just stuff in there you don't even know. Well, under the deck, when we're having people over and they're going to be in our backyard, throw it under the deck. Projects I maybe will get to someday, under the deck. So it's going to be my daughter's 16th birthday a few weeks ago, and I go under the deck for me time. I mean, because I was working on a project... I'm basically the only one that ever goes under there, so I certainly don't expect to find anything that's alive under there. Maybe a squirrel, but not another person, not anything else large. Our yard is fenced in, the deck's enclosed with lattice. I go under there, it's dark, it's dirty, there's stuff everywhere, and I hear something moving. And I didn't say, get your mom! Sorry, we're not equal opportunists in that. You know, there's an ex-murderer in the middle of the night. Honey, go get that. I want all for equality. Go. Nope. And everyone uncomfortably doesn't know if you can laugh at that. There you go. That's the world we live in. So I'm under the deck. I hear this movement. I go toward the sound. I start to lean in and peek at this piece of plastic. And I'm thinking, like, is it a cat? Is it a squirrel? Something very large jumps. Then I jump. So it jumps in one corner. I jump to the Ah, I'm jumping in the other corner. I'm jumping around. What's going on? Where at? It's jumping around over there. I look at it. It's Bambi. There's a deer stuck under my deck. Now, I don't know. Some of you are hunters. Why don't they travel in a herd, a family, a group, a flock? I don't even know what you call deers. A group of deer. <laughs> but it's by itself, and I don't know what to do, and it doesn't know what to do, and we're staring at each other, and I know if I share this with you, none of you are gonna believe me, so I go, kids! Kids are out in the backyard, and you start to see their personalities. I go, there's a deer under the porch! Gracie, our 11-year-old, goes, can we keep it? No, we can't keep it, no. So here's what we're gonna do, and I got Janie. Janie's active, and she's like me, she could go to the stuff, and I said, go open all the gates, I'm gonna go underneath, I'll shoo it out, then you get it to go through one of the gates. So I go under the deck, it doesn't shoo out. It runs straight through some of the lattice. It's probably what I would have done if I were that thing too. And then Janie goes, I'll get it. I'm like, don't touch it. Don't touch it. I don't know about deer. So I'm like, is it like a bird? If you touch it, its mom will never see it again. I don't even know if that's true about birds, but I'm just like, don't touch the bird. So you're seeing all these personalities in our family. The deer won't run outside of the gate, but it's terrified of us, so it fights its way through our fence. It was too small. It was the size of about a medium-sized dog. And uh, my wife comes home and says, what happened to our fence? And I'm like, you wouldn't believe me. Like, <laughs> I told the kids to video. They didn't get a good video. And so there were witnesses, even that aren't related to me. So this could stand up in court. But I was doing the da- dad job, dad space. And it was dangerous. Dads, many of you have done dangerous stuff. Military, police, you go hunting, hiking, adventure sports, big deals. You got down on your knee and asked your wife to marry you. Things you didn't know how they would go. But a lot of dads do all that stuff and then they abdicate their God-given responsibility. Why? Fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of being a failure. 
Somebody trained you how to do your job at work, whether that was college or whether that was an apprenticeship or whatever. Somebody taught you. There's no manual for these people we bring home. And then God drops on us responsibilities like Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training of the Lord. Doesn't say parents. Doesn't say the church. Dad, this is you. You're the one being held responsible for this command. It's heavy. And what you see throughout the Bible, throughout history, in this church, in every church, is guys that are killing it. And all these are on the battlefield, at work. Look at Adam. Adam, Naaman, rhinoceros, portipus, tortoise, walrus. He was a rapper. And he's funny. <laughs> Warthog, that had to be like a joke between he and God. I'm, watch what I'm going to do with this one. Warthog, too bad. Anyway. But he's doing great, naming all the animals. Blows it in the home because of his passivity. And we've been paying ever since. You want to know where the gender wars are coming from? Adam's sin. And that's what all goes back to. Don't miss the bigger picture. David? David killed tens of thousands on the battlefield. Man for God's own heart. God anointed him to come after the failure king. Maybe the greatest king in all of Israel's history. You know why his kingdom fell apart? You might say, well, the sin was bad. No, it's Absalom that was going to take over. Absalom was mad because he had been passive and not discipling and disciplining his kids. And there was anger and division that rose up. And so great godly man failed in his home. And we're all paying sense. Job under attack. Where does Satan go? Kids. Abraham, God's going to test him. What's he testing with? Kid. Dad, it's a big role. And none of us do it perfectly. But today I want to encourage you of how to get better at being a fearless father. I've got a gift for you today. I'm only going to preach 35 minutes, regardless of how far we get. And the clock starts whenever you stop cheering. Just kidding. Oh, right now. So if you want to time me, you can. There's a timer that's already on here. I've got eight seconds into it from what they tell me. So I guess I didn't count that first part. I just did. And uh, we're in Mark chapter 9 today. We're going to start reading Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. And what we're going to see is a father. He is not perfect. There's a lot wrong about things he says, things he does, things he doesn't do. But he's moving forward and he's trying to get his kid to Jesus. Bigger context of what's happening is you can go all the way through the gospel of Mark, but if we go back just to Mark chapter 5, what you see is that Jesus casts out a demon. It was just in Israel uh, with a group from our church, about 55 people, a few people from outside of our church, and we went to these biblical sites. One of the places that we saw was where that took place, where there's these demons in this guy, Mark chapter 5, and no one could bind him. No one could control this guy. But when Jesus came, the demons came running to him, cried out to him, what do you want with us? Jesus, the son of God. So they know stuff about Jesus. The disciples still haven't processed. And then request, will you throw us into these pigs? And so you get all these pastor jokes, you know, deviled ham and flying pigs when pigs fly, like all that nonsense. But the gist of it, what happens is, the demons cry out to God, are right in their thinking about God, and are obedient when God tells them to do something. They could pastor most of our churches, but they haven't been transformed by God. We're all in process. The point of that story is actually 
Jesus training the disciples in their process because for Jesus, the disciples are the next generation and it's through them he's gonna build the church and it's through them ultimately their faithfulness that the gospel's gonna get to you and me. The consequences are huge. Then he goes into another place, talks about the church, says, I am the son of God, that I'm going to die, I'm going to rise from the dead. They don't get it. He takes three of them up on a mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. Have you ever been in a mountaintop experience with Jesus? Maybe through prayer, a conference, a book you read, somebody you started hanging out with that really loved Jesus, a season in your life where it just feels like you're hearing him speak and your prayers are going right directly to him, but everybody else isn't experiencing that. So we're just... In Israel, over 50 people, 10 days, we're immersed in the Bible. We're going to the place where Jesus carried his cross. We're going to Golgotha. We're going to the empty tomb. We're on the Sea of Galilee where he walked on water. Like we're seeing these things, experiencing the Bible. People come back. Not only is it a different time zone, some of us don't know what day it is. (laughs) But we've had this mountaintop experience. When we got back, our inbox was still full. People still had cancer. People were still getting abandoned by their spouses. There's disease and difficulty, tragedy, crime, demonic oppression. So these disciples go up with Jesus. They see something amazing. Um, Peter is an extrovert. The Bible actually says he didn't know what to say, but that didn't stop him. (laughs) I can identify. He sees Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Jesus is radiant so much so, the Bible can't describe it. There's no words to put on that the glory of God is shining through him. That's why we call it the transfiguration. Peter says, it's good for us to be here. (laughs) Captain Obvious, OG version. They're walking down. Jesus uh, talks to them about the audible voice they just heard from God. Think about this experience. This is my son, Listen to him. And then Jesus talks about dying, rising from the dead again. He wants them to get this. They're not getting it. They're on their way down the mountain, and there's trouble still. They just had this mountaintop experience. Jesus says, don't talk about this. That's hard. Until after I rise from the dead. Rise from, what are you talking about? That's not normal. Hasn't happened yet. And the issue that's taking place is there's a fight. And we wish the fight were over the heart of this boy, but it's not. It's scribes fighting with the disciples. They've mistaken the real enemy, the real problem, like we often do. And look what happens. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes, the scribes, some of your translations might say lawyers. That's not like 1-800, you got a kink in your neck lawyer. That is uh, somebody who was an expert in the law, the Bible. Scribes, they didn't just write stuff down. They were experts in what was written down. They made copies too. The disciples were arguing with the scribes. Scribes were opponents of Jesus in the sense that they tried to disprove him. They didn't like his miracles. They didn't think he was the son of God. So they're arguing with each other. But in the meantime, how did this all start? It says, there's scribes arguing with them and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed. Was he still glowing? I don't know. They ran up to him and greeted him And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So Jesus already knows the answer to this. As a parent, you ever ask questions you know the answer to? Is that right? Is that ethical? Did you eat this cookie? I looked on the ring camera and I already know the answer. 
So Jesus is using this as a teaching moment. Remember, the context is he's actually training his disciples. The main characters in this passage are the father and the disciples. The main theme of this passage, we'll walk back through it and I'll show you, is faith versus not faith, unbelief. The good example in the passage is the father, imperfect faith. The failures in the passage are the disciples. It says, Ask them, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, because the disciples probably just looked at him like, I don't want to answer that. Someone from the crowd, so the dad's not even named. Teacher, well, it doesn't call him Lord, so he doesn't have all of his theology together here, but Jesus is a teacher, not just a teacher. That's not an option. I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit. Hmm. He's the only one who actually knows the real problem here that makes him mute so the son can't speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth so it looks a lot like a seizure, what we'd probably medically diagnose this as, but this guy knows it's a demon. And he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples, to ca- I came for you, you weren't here, it's discouraging. Ever go to church? Don't meet Jesus and just get church people? That's a disappointment. So I asked your disciples. They were not able, the ESV, could be translated, they weren't strong enough. Any men feel bad about hearing that statement? <laughs> Some of us won't even ask for directions, right? <laughs> We're taking the scenic route, honey. Well, I've seen that gas station three times, so. Right. They were unable. They didn't have the strength. They lacked the potency. Okay. Um, and he answered them, so not him, He's speaking to the whole crowd now. Oh, faithless generation. How long do I have to endure you? I'm going to go to one of my dad's spaces. Nope. How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I'm going to do what only I can do. This dad is in a battle. Dads, when you took your child home, you entered a fight. Some of you natural tendency is fight. Some of you natural tendency is flight. We don't have to talk through all that today. Doesn't matter. You have the option to abdicate your responsibility. To even when you're being home, to not be mentally present. You have the opportunity to have the appearance of godliness. Come to church, be moral, pray, do good things, and not be transformed by Jesus. But if you're going to take on... God's vision for you, you're entering a battle. You will not always win. If you're always succeeding in your parenting, you're actually not doing it right because it requires faith. And what you've probably committed to is some version of Christianity that seeks comfort and control and you've remodified everything you don't like about your faith and your success because you've defined the goals. You've made the vision. It's your plan. That won't work eventually certainly won't work eternally. This dad fails a bunch. He's the good example because he keeps trying. How discouraged would you be? We don't know all that he's tried. We don't even know his name. So anything I'd say about he probably went to the temple, he probably went to doctors, he probably went to, I don't know. We don't know who he is. That's not the point. But we do know he showed up and he was looking for Jesus and Jesus wasn't there. Hmm. Ever felt that way? Ever get angry? The Psalms do. David does. Solomon does. A lot of people do. John the Baptist doubts if Jesus is really who he says he is. We've all been there. 
One of the reasons why people love this passage of scripture is because the dad eventually says, I believe, help my unbelief. I can't even believe without you, Jesus. But he's the good example. He's vulnerable, he's transparent, and he knows he's inadequate. And so he's seeking help, but Jesus isn't giving it the way he wants, when he wants. He could have left and given up, but he doesn't. He goes to the disciples. Yeah, you hang around with him at least. And in Mark chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, they've already cast out demons. They've had past success, but not here. And they fail. And then the scribes show up, seizing on their failure, ready to disprove Jesus. The guy could have left and walked away. He doesn't. And then they're arguing not about how to help this boy, but with each other. Mm, what a mess. And when Jesus shows up, this guy fights his way through the crowd and says, I'm going to get my kid to you. I don't know what you can do. If you're able, could you help a little bit? He didn't ask for healing. He didn't ask for him. Could I just have a moment? It's a living hell what he's in. You ever been there? Could you... I don't even want you to reconcile the marriage. Could you just like let us have a conversation? You don't have to heal the cancer, but a good could we get a good night's rest? That's that's what he's asking. If you can. The faith battle. Dads, you're in a faith battle. When you put that diaper on, you slap the gloves on. You can run, forfeit, or you can fight. For you to get better not to be perfect, to get better at fighting, to become a fearless father. I've titled today's message, Fearless Fathers and Difficult Days. The difficult days will always be here. The difficult days are happening in this passage. For you to become a fearless father or move along the process of becoming more courageous. So I want to encourage you today, instill courage in you today. I've got three points for you. But limited time, 23 minutes left for those of you who are keeping track. And however far we get, that's how far we get. And I'll just trust that's what the Lord has for you. I only got most of the way through the first point in the first service. So if I don't get to the end, pray for your kids. That's the last point. <laughs> Originally, this message had five points. I cut it down last night to three, and so let's just see what happens. First point is this. If you're going to be a fearless father, we must, dads, we must realize our real enemy. Because if you do not, you will prepare inadequately you will think you have success when you do not. And you will view people that are actually the mission as the opponent. You have real enemies in this world. It's not all Satan. You have people that have betrayed you. There's people that claim to be your friend. They're in your small group. They were in your Bible study. It's your relative, whatever. And they slander you or gossip about you. That's not your friend. Well, turn the other cheek, just endure. I'm just, well, and then there's also Titus talks about, you got a divisive person in the church, warn them once, warn them twice, then be done with them. Which one do I do? Mm, discernment, got to walk with Jesus. <laughs> They're enemies, but behind them is the real enemy. I talk about Target, Tucket bathing suits, and gender identity issues, and abortion, and like all the culture wars that are out there. Um, yep, that's, a, there, that's real. You should stand against that. Uh, it does matter what they're teaching in the schools, what books are in the library, who you vote for, all that matters. But if you think that the problem is who's in office, you're going to think that an election is going to solve the problem. If you think that the problem is the education system, then you're going to think education reform will solve the problem. 
If, and what we, ought, what we actually do is we create Christian subcultures and just try and keep all the bad people out. That's not the plan either. You're being disobedient. And it's probably not even Christian what you're doing. I was talking to somebody after the first service and they're talking about prayer and prayer being answered and he's talking about some supernatural stuff. So I'm not even on the point. This isn't even in the message, by the way. So could you pause? Just kidding. Um, and I said, you know, most Christians, like if you... If there was a big drug bust and you were in a crack house, they would just assume you were a drug addict, not, hey, these are my friends. I wasn't doing crack. I'm trying to lead them to Jesus. If you're in the red light district, they just assume you're sleeping with prostitutes. That Christian, we don't do it. That's, when you read the Bible, where did Jesus take his disciples? What did he say to him? Peter, hey, you're going to, the gates of hell won't prevail against. Do you know they were in the red light district when he said that? And most of us. Get a Christian t-shirt, put a fish in your car, hang out with each other, talk about how bad those... If you think those people are the enemy, how are you ever going to have a broken heart for their eternity? They're just in darkness like you once were until God did what only God can do and he took you from being without hope and without God and he re- spiritually resurrected you. You had spiritual death, which means you were separated from the one who is life. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, the life. We always just talk about the way. He's the life. You didn't have spiritual life until you were connected with him and that wasn't because you had some eureka, I'm awesome and super smarter than all the people who don't believe moments because God brought, if you think you did that, Go to a cemetery today, tell those people to get up and see what happens. That was you spiritually. Only God can do that. And he does it in the Bible. We don't do that anymore. We'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah, real opposition, real darkness, but not the real enemy. How many of you here ever played dad's uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Did you ever play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Growing up, you don't have to be a dad. I saw a younger person, oh, I'm not a dad. No, it's fine, it's fine. I just want to know how much I need to explain. Uh, If you've never played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, old Nintendo game, um, I remember before, I didn't have a Nintendo. I had a friend who had a Nintendo, volunteered to let the dog out of his house when he was out of town so I could play his Nintendo for like 12 hours a day. I don't even know if I let the dogs out. I was just playing. Ooh, Glass Joe, got him. You know, Mondo, whatever his name was. You know, there was a guy on there named King Hippo. We'd never be able to name somebody that now. They probably modified it. There's a new version, whatever. And so what happens is you go in and each opponent, a little different strategy. The first guy's named Glass Joe. He's not real hard. (laughs) He telegraphs his punches. If you dodge one, block one, and just start hitting in the body, you'll knock him out. If you go for the head punch, he'll start fighting again. There's like, you just little tricks to beating each opponent. You get through the fourth guy. What was his name? Hondo something. Did anybody remember? Piston Honda. That was Piston Honda. All right, we got an expert, Pastor Brad over here. Plays too many video games. That's not what all pastors do. Don't worry about that. Um, just messing with you. Love you. A lot of elders raised their hands for that game, by the way. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's a qualification. Super Macho Man. Remember him? I think it's like, it keeps getting harder. Different people that you fight. Piston Honda, well, if I remember him correctly, he would do the uppercut. And if you, he had an aggressive attack. He was a lot better attack than Glass Joe, but he still wasn't good at the counterattack. If you dodged it, hit him on the body like three or four times and then did a star punch, boom, he's gone. Can you imagine if you prepared to fight Piston Honda, but Iron Mike Tyson showed up in a real fight? Imagine that. You had a real fight and you thought you were going to fight Glass Joe. Like, I got this. I don't even need to train. Like eating Doritos, that'd be awesome. Dodge one punch and I got this guy. Or maybe Piston Honda, all right, 
I'm going to do the Rocky thing, go to Russia in a barn, run through snow for 30 minutes, then I can beat the strongest guy in the world. It'll be awesome. But then on the other side of the ring when they go to announce, and in this corner, Brad Altice, or your name, and you're expecting Piston Honda on the other corner, and in this corner, Iron Mike Tyson, not the 55-year-old version, which I still wouldn't fight. The 25-year-old version. It's like, could you, when I was a kid, people used to, this was the sports question. Do you think you could last 30 seconds? And I'm like, could I run fast enough? It wasn't like, take, I'm not going to get hit. If I get hit, it's over. Hmm. If we prepare for the wrong opponent, it's disastrous. The disciples in this passage, they don't, they don't get it. They're arguing with the scribes. Jesus confronts the scribes. They are dead spiritually, but he wants them to have life. He wants them to wake up from the comatose of their religion and come to him. The point's not winning an argument or an election or a law for some season that still hasn't changed a heart. I read an article this week that we think we can actually create a human. We do some amazing things. We'll never be able to take somebody from spiritually dead to made spiritually alive. Only Jesus can do that. And the one who darkens their minds, that's the real enemy. And the scripture talks about it, and that's the real battle. You do not battle against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. But against principalities and powers greater than you of this dark world. And then Ephesians goes on. We've done a whole series on this, so I'm going to talk about this. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand, but there's some aggressive things you're supposed to do too. You've got the word of God and prayer, and you live out your faith. And you will fail. Uh, Jesus, when he's talking to Peter, he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, he tells him he's going to deny him. And he says, Simon, Simon, look. Be aware. You've got to be alert of your enemy. Look. Satan. Look. Satan's at work. He demanded. So there's conversations about you in heaven because you're about to do something significant. Dads, you're called to something significant. Peter is going to be the guy who preaches the sermon that gets the church, God's plan for reaching the world, started. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Oh, this is a faith battle. And when you've turned again, turned, Jesus is here giving Peter vision for after his failure. Some of you have failed significantly as fathers. If you still have breath, God is not done. Maybe today is just calling your grown kids who don't like you and don't follow Jesus and say, I'm sorry. That's it. Not to fix anything. Don't control their response. Peter, when you've turned back to Jesus because you turned away from him, strengthen, I got a plan for you. Strengthen your brothers. The disciples have all failed here in this passage. In fact, it's interesting if you go through Scripture. We don't have time to do that today. Uh, Jesus has a tendency to show up in the midst of failure. Uh, the disciples are asked the question, what are you arguing about? They don't answer. Hmm, because they're probably getting tired of Jesus just popping in whenever they fail. They're in the boat. Here comes Jesus walking along. Oh, that's good. How about when he first called them? Uh, Peter, put your boat out. Luke chapter 5. 
I'm going to teach. It's going to be my pulpit. We're going to do it right here, kind of like a portable thing. And then when it's done, he says, hey, why don't you uh, go a little bit deeper and get some fish? And Peter says, well, I'm a professional fisherman. How about you stick to teaching? No, he doesn't. Okay, rabbi. But I fished all night, and I didn't catch anything. Oh, so this is the midst of your failure. Interesting that in John chapter 21, after Peter denies Jesus three times, Peter's out fishing again. I think he went back to his old way of life. Guess what happened? He didn't catch any fish. Then some guy from the shore, who he doesn't recognize, says, hey, how's it going out there? What if Peter had said, we're doing okay? Keep going. What would Jesus have said if he wouldn't acknowledge his failure? See, it's in our inadequacy that we get to see God's ability. The God... God, Jesus, doesn't do the miracle in this passage until the man says, I believe. I can't even believe without you, Jesus. I have no chance against this. The disciples are wrong about who. This is a darkness you've never encountered. This kind only comes out by prayer. This is a faith battle. Jesus says to the disciples in John chapter 21, cast your net on the other side. I cast a net. I would have probably said sarcastically to one of my buddies if I was one of those fishermen, oh, I think we tried that, buddy. Been out here all night. I think we didn't try the other side, but they obey. 153 fish. They get to the shore. Jesus already has fish. Hmm, interesting. He's making breakfast. And they ate fish for breakfast. Whatever. His first public miracle was they failed to plan the wedding at Cana. Jesus keeps showing up in failure. That's good news for you, by the way. Because if you're trying to follow him and you realize who your real enemy is, you will fail. I don't know because the text doesn't say why the disciples were failing here other than they didn't pray. So I have no idea what they did in the past when they had success because in Mark chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, they had already cast out demons. So it makes sense that the dad would say, oh, Jesus isn't here? Well, you guys have done this before. Why don't you try? And they failed. I don't want to overly judge them because there's not a lot of commentary on it. Apparently, they didn't pray the first time, but they had success. Hmm. Some of you need to hear this truth. Your failure does not define you, but your success will not refine you. We're not refined in the moments of success. We're not defined in our moments of failure. But in our moments of failure... God will build a foundation for your faith, and that's what he's doing in this passage. The most textual thing I'm going to show you right now, because I don't want to just tell you the truth of the Bible. I always want to teach you how to study the Bible. As you can see, the theme is not me just making this up. It's about faith versus lack of faith, because you go through the passage, and we don't have time to read every verse again, but if you look at what's happened here, it said the failure of faith of the disciples, they weren't strong enough. (laughs) So we've got to admit that we can't do this on our own, dads. That's 18b, second part, uh, verse 19. And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation. Mm. Remember, he took them up on the mountain when they weren't understanding when he was talking about his resurrection. And he told them they were going to do some stuff that they're looking, going, "How could we can't do that. No one could cast out the demon. And you did, but the demon. And so here we are. Um, Jesus di- asked the diagnosis of the problem. The guy tells him it's a spirit. So the, there's one person here who knows the real enemy. It's often cast him into the fire, into the water, so this kid's burned. He can't speak. He's now being ignored by all the religious leaders, the disciples and the scribes. He's now an object of their arguments, probably not even about the boy. They're not arguing about how to help him. 
They're just arguing with each other. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. You might underline belief. So we got their lack of ability. He's questioning Jesus' ability. Jesus has said, oh, faithless generation. Then he says, will you believe? Then he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And then the whole thing ends with, how come we couldn't do this? Because you weren't, what's prayer? Dependence, trust, there's stuff you can't fix, you need. And so what happens, Jesus shows up in your failure because in the difficult moments, he's deepening your dependence. Why does God allow and how come? And when have you grown the most spiritually? It's probably not when everything was going exactly the way that you planned. The Proverbs talks about that and with wealth and life and lots of things. And so who's the enemy? Is the enemy the teacher that's trying to give propaganda to your kids? I'm, I'm, yeah. And so it's the person at your office that's luring you away from your marriage. It's the, all the people that are tempting you to walk away from your faith. But behind all of that, you have an enemy that roams around like a lion looking for who to devour. And how does he know who to devour? We oftentimes quote 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, but, but there's a battle that needs to be fought. And it, it talks about how to do that. So we got Ephesians 6 that we're in an, a spiritual battle. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you can run from it or embrace it. But look at the next verses. So verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Remember, you've got to be aware of your real enemy. If we're going to win this fight, or if we're going to be fearless fathers, we've got to know who we're really fighting Otherwise, you prepare wrong, and people suffer. Your adversary, so there's the title given. He's also called the accuser. Now, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, but our adversary, our real enemy, be aware, be a real enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who does he devour? The people who don't do this. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Oh, the real battle is a battle of your faith, not fists, not minds not feet, your faith, knowing that the same, you're not alone, same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood. Some of the worst people in having real, deep relationships are men. You're not alone, dads. The guys who stood up here at the stage with you, you're in this together. After you've suffered a little while, wait, so when the dad showed up, Jesus wasn't even there. He allowed the man to keep struggling I think we've all experienced this. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory, that's what you're being called to, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you so you'll be awesome. Nope. To him be glory. He meets you in your failure. The failure doesn't define you. But your success won't refine you. And he's doing a work in you. And there's a battle for your faith. And how you respond is so much more significant than you realize. Because it's not just about you, Dad. See Adam. See David. See Dad throughout history. Who's going to break the generational curses? The person who stands firm in their faith resists the devil. Flees the temptation. Puts their faith into action. If I told any of you today, they're trying to lose weight. It's like a fa- we all go through cycles. And I eat too much while I was in Israel. A lot of hummus. No. If I told you I know a way that's ten times more effective, you'd probably at least listen. Most of you are thinking about, or maybe are retired. If I said, "Hey, I know an investment ten times return," 
hey, you want to learn a new language? Uh, guess what? There's this app, 10 times easier and faster. What? At least tell me about it. Your faith in action is 10 times more impactful to your kids than your faith declarations. Your faith in action, faith without deeds is dead. James, many of us have this false idea about faith that faith is what I did because I needed eternity. I couldn't get to heaven apart from Jesus. And so I believed him. I cried out to him. And he I told me to get baptized. I did it. Oh, so you're just like the demons. If that's where it stops, that's not the real thing. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then you go look at every story. is not about some paper someone writ, wrote, position they took, how they voted. It's what they did. It's faith put into action because it's a faith journey and adventure. One of the reasons why a lot of men don't like church is because we treat it like it's a romance novel. I don't know how many of you are picking that as your movies. Don't tell me. I'll judge you. I don't want us in that way today. Not plenty of other struggles. Jesus is our boyfriend. We were waiting to be rescued. He came and got us, and now we're just supposed to sing songs to him forever. You know, I don't know what songs we'd sing to him. My legs don't work anymore like they used to. Jesus. All I need is love from you, Jesus. Or we say, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Okay. And the problem is that's enough true that we buy into it. We did need to be rescued, saved. We only love him because he first loved us. He's the one who came and got us. But we're neglecting the vast majority of scripture when that's all we talk about. And so we create a version of Christianity that's true enough to be deceptive. Uh, When Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the desert, Satan uses scripture if you don't get the rest of the story, you create a false version of Christianity. It's an adventure. You're in a battle, and it's a step-by-step process of trusting him. And when you fail, oh, that's when he works. He shows up when you need him, because apart from him, anything that's of eternal significance, you can't do. And so it's in the difficulty, he deepens your dependence, which ultimately means you're going to cry out. And so cry out for your kids. And I'm out of time, so i got to wrap up. I'll wedge the rest of it into another message some other time. But as a gift to you, fathers, I want to encourage you. You want to be active and living out your faith? Pray. It feels like passive. No, not if you're going to besiege the gates of hell against the kingdom of darkness on behalf of people that your heart breaks over. And if your heart doesn't break over your kids, you need to pray for God to work in your heart. Jesus, when he stands on the Mount of Olives, overlooks Jerusalem, and the Jewish people rejected him, just like John said it would, just like we knew would happen, just like Jesus prophesied. But when it happens, it hurts. Luke chapter 19, verses 41, 42. says, he looked, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather you under my wing. And he wept. It's not the, hey, some of you memorized John 11, uh, where it says Jesus wept, because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, and your youth pastor told you to memorize a verse. There you go. Different word here. John 11 is a silent, like tears are coming, you don't want anybody to see it. Ah, Take a drink. He's wailing, his heart breaks. Paul says, I'd give my own salvation if my people would come to Christ. Not just dads, who are those people for you? And if you don't have those people, God's got to do a work in your heart because your heart isn't his heart. And that's his longing for you. And so we're going to cry out to him. We're going to cry out to him, not just on behalf of fathers, but all of us.
that we would realize our real enemy, be active in our faith, and cry out to God on behalf of people that we often view as lost people. Some of those are your kids. Some of them are the people that betrayed you. Some of them are dressing up like drag queens and trying to manipulate your children. And they all need to come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today. I pray. I pray for not just dads, for all of us that have messed up. There is no condemnation in you, but we've got to be in you. If there's anybody here who's not in Christ or watching online who doesn't know the power of the resurrection for their spiritual life, right now, in your own words, just say, I want that. I need you. I can't do that on my own. He will save you through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Not when your faith is the object of your faith, but when Jesus is the object of your faith. He shows up in your failure. You're acknowledging your failure. You have sinned, you fall short of God's standard, and you need to be rescued. And that's the first step in a faith journey. You wanna start that today? Cry out on the name of Jesus. There's no other name by which anyone, male, female, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, whatever language can be saved except by him. And all the people who know that, amen? And we keep praying. And just say, I pray you'd empower moms. I pray you'd empower dads. I pray you'd empower our church, brothers and sisters in Christ, the real family of God, the body of Christ, that we would carry each other's burdens, strengthen one another, encourage one another, confess to one another, confront one another in a loving way, not in a judgmental way, but because we want what's best for the other. We communicate, serve, love, and point people to you. God, I pray our church would be all about your son, Jesus. We're all growing. We're all in process. I pray it'd be safe to be a place of grace and safe for anybody to come hear about your love. Even if there's rebuke and correction, it's because of your love. Even if there's wrath and justice, it's because of your mercy and grace and your love. Pour your love out on us. I pray for all of us today. Anyone who will hear my voice, that we'd know the height, the depth, the length, the width, the infinite magnitude of your love, and we'd be filled to the fullness of all that you are. And the only way to experience that is by walking by faith, which doesn't mean just what's in your head, being transformed in your heart. How does he want to transform? How does he want to change you? Some of you might need to repent right now. So we need to, you talk to the Lord however you need to in this moment. I'm going to say amen in a moment. You're going to see some families on the stage that we're going to commission, part of our sent series. Pastor Brad's going to share some words. If you need to keep talking to the Lord, you can keep doing that. Pray without ceasing, what the Bible says. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.